0: Pocket. If I'm talking like this, he can hear me. So if you're
1: like, if you go over and start talking like yeah. that. So
0: if I start looking at the camera, I got to make sure my yeah. face is going this way I go, yeah. Yes. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I just licked it.
1: Uh, anyway. That's all right. I'm sure it's not the first time it's been
0: well, I think
1: that's the first made yeah. out to you, you know? anyway. <laughs> They. They sanitize it each each round, too. Sure, sure. I'm sure. I don't
0: see anything maybe whatever. I think the last guy care. had
1: monkeypox, so I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm not definitely not worried about the 27th strain of COVID. Good Lord. No.
1: No, my I'm, 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 my next one will be the fourth strand. <clears throat> all right, you tell us. Are we ready? Cool. Oh, right on. we on
0: already? Great. That's all going to be. Well, we'll
1: right on. Uh, sitting here today uh, with my. Good, dear friend, Mr. Josh Bauman, um, neighbor, car connoisseur, has been in the car industry for 20 plus years. 26, 26 years. Yeah. Um, we wanted to get you on today to talk about what's going on in the automotive industry, but also, you're also a real estate investor, so I wanted to pick your brain on what's going on for you personally and your real estate investments. Um Josh is a good good family guy. We've gotten to know each other being neighbors. Um, he has all kinds of crazy fun go-karts and, and, and golf carts and uh, his kids are out playing all the time and have to make it fun in the neighborhood. Hundred percent. Matter of fact, you were just in a chicken outfit, so we'll probably show that here. Can't in a little be a bit. chicken in life either. That's right. There's a lot of scared people. Can't be a chicken. So Josh, uh Give us give us a little insight. Like, what got you in the business? How long have you been in it, Give us your origin within um, with o- automotive, and uh, we'll dive into what the industry is doing today.
0: So it all starts back. Uh, gee whiz, going back a long time. Even when I was a little kid, um, man, I remember uh, my parents got me a power wheel motorcycle, and that was like the first thing when mm-hmm. I was like, it was a three wheeler. It was a little police motorcycle, electric. Uh, Yeah, battery electric when they first came out. You know, this is way back in, like, the 80s, '80s, late 70s, sometime around there, early 80s, I think. And I drove the heck out of that thing. And then that was my, like, first thing with motorcycles. I was like, oh, this is great. Cars weren't so cool at that time. But then I remember going to, like, grade school. And I think I was probably, like, fifth or sixth grade. And my mom wanted me to have posters on my wall. So, of course, you know, I get a poster of a Ferrari because that was cool at the time, right? So a 308 GTB GTB Pinaferina 77, which was my birth year, right? So
1: Ferraris are cool.
0: Yeah, and so that was on the wall, you know, and now it's not such a cool Ferrari compared to what's out today, but it's still cool, classically speaking, right? So that was, like, the first niche, and then, you know, obviously then, you know, there's all the other fancy cars that came out, and, uh, you know, that kind of got disinterested me for a while, and then uh, once I got to high school, then, you know, it was like I needed money. So, you know, kind of funny thing is I – Found myself working as a tire buster, changing tires at Discount Tire, and I did that like all the way through high school till I was uh, eighteen. And then I had a back injury; I couldn't do it anymore. And uh, I've heard
1: that's a, a really great company to work for. Solid, solid, great uh, company. Education, teaching, technician, all that. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Even to the point where I had broke my arm, and instead of just saying, "Okay, you're out," because I still wanted to work. They said, "Okay, well, you can work, but you gotta go to the hangar up in Scottsdale and polish the side of the plane." So I was squirting stuff on, like this wax stuff on part of the plane, and then squirting. And then I was looking around, and you know, and I still remember it's back when Mr. Hallie was alive. He'd pull in um, with his Mercedes, and you know, he'd ask to have his car cleaned. And then this you know, was his plane. Yeah, his well, his plane, Discount Tires plane, right? right? So it's all the same. And I remember then taking his car to the car wash and then, you know, coming back. And because he'd when he got back, he want to make sure his car was clean, right? So that was like the first, like, oh, this is really cool. And then obviously working on the cars that always would come in. Most of them would be run-of-the-mill cars. And then uh, after my back injury happened. Um, was that
1: was that motorcycle-related?
0: It was motorcycle-related, yes. And so, anyway, dirt bike-related. Yeah, out in the desert, in the middle of nowhere. Um, kind of crazy how things just happen. Yeah. So. Anyway, my sister nannied for another gentleman in town, and um, he ran a car dealership for his father. And he said, Josh, you know, you could either do two things. You got the gift of gab. You can talk to people, people like you. You could go make a great living be a, being a waiter, or you could go sell cars. And I was like, selling cars? I'm like, I've been in cars. I like cars. So a funny thing is I got dressed up in a suit. I went down. I interviewed with him. He goes, you know, I would totally hire you. If you had experience and i was like if i had experience i'm like well how do i get experience if you're not willing to hire me he goes oh you go one of these other chop shops in town and they'll hire you so sure enough i did and then i ended up never working for him um and his loss yeah so anyway i worked at one place for about a year and cut my teeth real hard and it was a slower store i found myself getting in trouble Uh, We had golf carts at that store. I'm not saying which store
1: it was. (laughs) How old were
0: you? Uh, I was 19. Oh, yeah. You're getting all kinds of trouble. I was getting on the golf carts when I was bored. I was trying to, like, take them off-road. We had, like, little dirt retention areas and driving them through there and all sorts of trouble. I was the kid that was not good. And finally, uh, you know, uh, I was told that, hey, you need to go – you're – this store is not busy enough for the corporate trainer told me this, which was ironic, right? Cause he gets compensated off of me selling cars it was top salesperson at that store. And he goes, uh, you need to go someplace that has more action. And I was like, what? I said, you're telling me I need to quit. And he goes, it's in your best interest. And I was like, why? He goes, well, let's see that they're probably going to let you go for wrecking the golf cart multiple <laughs> times. And I'm like, and taking it off road. I'm like, uh, okay. So I quit and actually I It blindly, I said, All right, I just walked in and I said, Hey, just so you know, I'm leaving. See you guys later. And I just quit not knowing (laughs) without even getting hired someplace else, right? Pretty reckless. Well, I'd say confident. So yeah, well, I just that's exactly what it was. The funny thing was when I went to interview at the next spot, which is a much larger store, high volume import store, and it was a domestic store that I was working at prior. And the funny part was is I showed up there, I interviewed, and like, yeah, we're good. We're we're not hiring. I'm like, what? No, I quit my job. I'm like, you're supposed to hire me, right? And I'm like, huh? But I was a top. Seller. He goes, yeah. This is a different level here. That hmm. yeah, that that that's like down here. This is like. We're apex predators at this place. I remember them saying that to me. We're apex, apex predators. predators at this place. I'm like. i gotta
1: start dripping that back into
0: my dialogue. I was dialogue. like, what? So I'm like, I'm thinking like apex predators. In my mind, I'm thinking Tyrannosaurus Rex, you know, like dinosaurs and stuff. And I'm like, what's going on, <laughs> right? So anyway, and uh, one thing leads to another thing. So I don't get hired. Then I went to the place two stores down from that, and which was another import store. No dice. And I'm like. Uh-oh. I go back home and I'm like, oh. Call wow, the old what? dealership. I'm like, no, no, I had too much pride <laughs> at that time to do that. And so I just basically took a few weeks off and I worked out every day. And then uh I decided to go back. And um I weird thing happened. So all new managers at that store all of a sudden when I went back and they're like, Oh yeah, we we'll hire you. And I was like, Okay, perfect. So and uh timing is everything. Yeah, so I started s- selling cars in first month out of the gate I sold 25 the next month I sold 30 and I was pretty much consistent 30 cars where I was a 15 car guy prior to that at this domestic store where everybody sold like eight so and uh just kind of worked all the time so at that same time my mother um this was new car sales that you were new and used both okay and so uh my mother had cancer and so I didn't really want to deal with that so I kind of held up and kind of like didn't Want to go see her. Uh, She's she, worked a lot. So I just, yeah, I just put all my energy into working, and that was my focus, so I wouldn't think about what's going on with my mom. And um, I did that, and I worked there for, geez, six and a half years, five and uh-huh. a half years. So pretty much from the time I was like 19 to about 24 and a half. Now this is in so, the 90s. Yeah, this is in the, this is uh, mid late, to late, nin- 90s. late 90s, early 90s. 2000? 2000s you know what I mean and then uh, yeah I left there it was 2000 end of 2000, it was right about the beginning of 2002 when I left there and um, it was a great place. It was a cr- totally awesome place. I uh, I moved up into management there and then I actually quit being a manager because so I was making more as a salesperson you go usually figure. Do. usually and do. then uh, uh, after a point in time they told me I had to be a manager did finance for a short stint. And then uh, left there and went to a different store, um, just because the people who had promoted me up at that store had moved on, and there's a thing about, you have to like the people you work Absolutely. with. Absolutely, culture's and, everything. Yeah, the culture shifted, became a turnhouse, and I wasn't about the turnhouse. so I wanted to be where I felt valued, and I did a great job, and to the point, I still remember the, the owner of that store coming in one day, and I had funny thing this is when I was probably there for about six months seven months and came into the store and I matter of factly I was driving a golf cart again so we had one (laughs) were you jumping it and no well sort of (laughs) yes on the way down so I, I had just sold a car and it was a split deal we split deals in the car business if there's two salespeople involved it's hard to explain but anyway our wholesale Row was up at top of the dealership, so I drove up to the top of the dealership in the golf cart, following him driving the car. While he's parking the car, there's no other cars up there. I'm doing donuts on the top of the roof. You <laughs> know what I mean? Well, according where the dealership was, there's like counting office at the top that you could see the top level of the store. Well, the owner's store happened to be in there. I didn't know that. My buddy hops on, we cruise down, you go down the hill, and then there's like a thing, you go up, and then you jump the curb, and then you're in the parking (laughs) lot, pull out front. He comes running out, he goes, he was going to fire me right there. Like, I knew I was like, oh. Turned all white, the general manager came up, and he goes, hold on, hold on. Don't fire him. He goes, he's going to sell over 30 cars this month, you can't fire him. (laughs) And he bit his tongue, and he was super red in the face, and he turned around, and... I mean, I would have lost it, like, looking back, like, if I was him, you know what I mean?
1: Oh, yeah. And so... Now you're in his spot, right?
0: Right. So, at the same time, I remember that very distinctly, and he turns around, he goes, you're not going to work here if you don't sell over 30 cars this month.
1: Oh, I got to start doing that in the
0: morning. And I was like, and I was mortified at that time, because I thought I was losing this great job that I was making great income at as a very young age, right? So... I actually sold 37 and a half that month. And he came up and he goes, hey, Josh, come here. Because obviously I was recognized all of a sudden. I said, yeah. And he goes, hey, here. And he counted out 2000 bucks and gave me 2000 bucks in cash. And I'm like, mm-hmm. "Was this where He goes, don't let me catch you on a golf cart again. <laughs> Good job last month. I yeah, like, they need to take the keys oh. away from you. And then, of course, I went to bat for that guy. You know what I mean? I like, I'd do anything for him, right? So over time, though, that, you know, things always change at dealerships. And he moved on. And so obviously I eventually moved on and then I worked for a different brand as a sales manager, finance manager, assistant manager, bounced all over through different levels of management and finally settled at a store down, um, in the Southeast Valley for several years and as a sales manager. And I learned a lot from the man that ran that store. He was very, uh, crucial to, um, he had an interesting way of learning, very hard, very firm, but, uh, it worked. You know what I mean? We all need mentors. If you could, uh, he was a mentor without being a mentor formally, if that right. makes sense. You learn so from him. Absolutely. Yeah. Learn what was good and what was not good, if that makes sense, right? You take the good and the bad from those people, and then you, you become who you are, right? So anyway, and then uh, as time went on, obviously, you know, 2008, 2009 happened. You know, everybody was in a pickle. And at that time, I was a general sales manager of a store in North Scottsdale, and that wasn't going so well in the car business so I took some time off, spent with my wife and then uh, I got back in about 6 months later um after we did some traveling and uh went to another store, another import store. We got hired on and didn't really have any traction and the owner of that particular store well managing partner, I should say. Uh he wasn't the actual owner-owner, but he is the general manager or managing partner of that store and he uh He announced his retirement. So I said, hey, you're retiring. I can take it. I could do it, right? So in long and short of it, uh, that just, he goes, ha, 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 that's not going to happen. I said, well, why not? Who's going to fill your spot? Who do you have here that's capable, that's young enough, that's going to be here long term? Because everybody else was like, you know, their 50s and 60s that worked for him, right? So here I am. At that time, I think it was right around like 30 34, 35, 36, somewhere right around there. And so I was staging myself, right? And uh, um, I had just had my daughter, and um, she was right around one or two at that time. And there was obviously a lot going on in my life, and he looked at me and he says, if you want to get to where I'm at, we'll have a talk. And I remember that. And so I went home that day, I'm thinking, so there's a chance or not a chance, right? And so, anyway, we sat down talking. He goes, if you want to do what I did, you need to go find somebody. He goes, "When well, I was in the car business and I was coming up. He goes, I was in Oklahoma at Podunk, and I learned a system really well, and I left there to go to California to implement the system for a completely different group, Started at the bottom, implemented it, had great success, and became general manager. I was like, oh, okay. So I was like, so what are you saying? He goes, go start at the bottom and work your way back up. I'm like, holy cow. And I was making great money money at that time. I'm like,
1: that's insane. So he wanted to go sell cars again?
0: Basically. And so I started looking around, and then we had these trainers that came in, and they're like, oh, the Koreans are coming, the Koreans are coming. And I didn't know what that meant. And so – but they were training us on the product of that dealership, right, which was a competitor. And I was like, why the hell you guys keep on training us on competitors? He goes, you don't understand. They can build a car f- – the Koreans, Hyundai and Kia, can build a car for less. They could – they have a better build time. They are more dialed in on a process. Their quality is increasing. Their design process is getting better.
1: Well, they're hiring all the Lexus designers. Right, they're hiring all the good
0: people. And I'm thinking to myself, okay. So I started thinking about, like, the foresight. And I'm like, okay, what's going to happen next, right? So I started looking down the road and seeing, like, okay, well, who are the Key and Hyundai stores in town? All right, who needs to relocate their store? Who, Where is there not a store that should be a store? And so after doing my due diligence a little bit um and talking with several people i got pointed in the horn direction the horn family and uh they have several stores but they've always been on the outskirts of town and i end up going to work for the horn family and it was funny getting hired in um i was all the way back at the bottom i had done some mystery shopping going in blind you know what i mean just as dressed up as plain clothes just kind of trying to scope out competition you know what I mean see what I'm up against and started asking questions to different managers like how long have you been in the car business oh I've been in the car business six years and I'm thinking to myself "Jesus, six years I was still selling cars you know what I mean (laughs) in the car business I wasn't a manager yet I'm like how long have you been how long have you been a manager like oh five years so you only sold cars for a year and you got promoted I'm like wow this is crazy to me like it was just not the same world that I came from. Right. So, and I was like, Whoa. And so I started talking to more people and I was like, okay, I'm like, I could make this a go of this. Right. So anyway, long and short of it, um, through lots of hard work and self-discipline and the risk to going to work for the bottom, eventually I, it's kind of funny, Adam Horn, who's a friend of mine now and also your boss. Boss, if yeah. you want to call it that. Amongst his brothers uh, had, I entered, like literally, basically we call it up, like taking it up or taking a customer greeting a customer. Uh, when I was at the the Kia store originally, he had met me. Like, I didn't know it was him. Just walked up. Hey, how you doing? I'm Josh. And you were working there? I was working there. I just went ahead. And he yeah. got out of the car and didn't know who he was. He goes, oh, hey, yeah, I'm in here to see whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. Is there anything I can help you? He goes, no, we're all good. And then, obviously, next thing you know, We uh, went to a soccer game, his family, my family, and I didn't know he was going to be there, right? But I got tickets to go to this soccer game. And uh, so I brought my wife and my daughter, and then we're sitting right next to him, did not know, and his wife and his family. And uh, we got to know each other a little bit, you know what I mean? I think they talked more to my wife than me. I was chasing my daughter around, which is probably a good thing. And kind of hit it off. And, you know, one thing I'm sure Kinder gave you some street cred. I'm sure once they so. talk to you,
1: like, Oh, this guy's probably the real deal. She's, she's kind of awesome.
0: Yeah. So the, uh, and from there shortly after, um, they moved me to the Hyundai store. Uh, I was at the Hyundai store for about a month and a half out in Apache junction and the numbers went up. And then after that went to the, uh, Ford store next door and, uh, had a great time. Steve, the general manager, Steve
1: Bennett, shout out Steve Bennett. Great guy and uh so you've been with the horn family it wasn't just kia from the get-go you it was
0: key in the beginning because that was my intention like i'm gonna go there and
1: you, were, you, you got you were kind of bought in the korean automotive right industry.
0: and then when they said okay we're gonna go to hyundai and then of course every time i moved to a different position right so it was like salesperson for a few days and then i was the assistant manager closer whatever you want to call it and then from there it was a sales manager at the Hyundai store, and then from there was a sales manager again at the Ford store, then an internet director, then general sales manager back at the Kia store, and then um, we relocated the Kia store in March of 2015 from Arizona Ave- Avenue. You know, like Guadalupe, right yeah, right here, and then uh, over here to the Santan Motorplex, the rest has kind of been history. It's been, a, it's been a great ride, great family. Um, so
1: seven years in Gilbert at the Santan store as their GM, correct?
0: No, so this was all so as a general sales manager in 2050. 2017, I became the general, general manager, manager of the
1: store. It's funny, so. you've said a couple things that, um, I think are interesting, you know, as far as when you went to that Kia store for the first time and you were kind of doing your secret shopper and you're talking to these guys that are four or five years in the business and they're in a ma- manager position. And I think that's sometimes a downfall for any occupation or career is that you don't put the time in, right? So Correct. I'm 20 plus year veteran in the mortgage business. I've had multiple cycles. You've seen the ups and downs. I've made multiple mistakes that I've learned yeah. from. And I think sometimes, you know, with the younger generation, I'm not picking on them cause I love them. And they, I've got a lot of young folks that work for me and they would do a great job, but sometimes they get in a hurry. They want to be a market expert within a year or two years. And it's like, you know, sometimes you got to go through those trial and tribulations to be successful and whatever you're doing. Right. So kudos to you. You put the blood, sweat and tears. Now you've been super successful. I want to talk about cars and automotive industry right now. We all know since COVID or just maybe just even prior to COVID automotive industry started taking off. But once COVID hit because of supply chain, you know, you have the rental car issue. They sold all their cars and then they needed cars and all these things. So, I would love to know what you see going on right now today. We know that, you know, recently in the last couple of years, you've had a, a huge supply issue. No used cars. You can get new cars. You're paying a, a premium. Um, talk to us about cars today. Is it still like that? For some people, it's but, like that. But not Kia? Not for us. Cool. So You guys have a good, good. supply?
0: Uh, well, part of that is this: is you have to understand the the macroeconomics of how a car is manufactured. Most most car manufacturers uh, they subcontract everything out. So, for example, it'd be like, you know, I'll use my five fingers for example. So let's say my thumb is one manufacturer. I'm not going to list any manufacturers out by name, let's say one is one manufacturer and they have four more friends, right? So they're like, Hey, well you manufacture the steel for me, bro. And I'll buy from you to build my car and my plant. Hey, you make the wiring harnesses, you do this, you build the chips, so on and so forth, the whole way down the line. And so everything's subcontracted out. So this is the benefit that now I realize from many years ago, what these trainers, these corporate trainers are coming out talking about working for that other manufacturer is that, Kia and Hyundai, they own everything. They own their own steel. They own their own chip place. They own everything pretty much. So they much.
1: subcontract less.
0: Way, they still subcontract stuff Some, out, sure, but there's... Knows. but. So the degree is way less than all the other manufacturers. And because of that, they also own, like, Hyundai. Have you ever seen their big boats that come into, like, you know, San Francisco or Port Hueneme? They own their own shipping, you know? So it's like...
1: Oh, the storage container boats? They, yeah, all wow. that.
0: So so they own all that. So it's a huge co- worldwide conglomerate, right? So they have navigated this a whole lot better than a lot of other manufacturers because they're into more, more things, if that makes sense. That's amazing. So now to... We're still... We're still selling everything that we get as far as new cars, even in this environment with rates going up. Uh, We have seen it deter some buyers that would normally want to buy something that they used to be able to afford at 0%. You know what I mean? Now they're buying the model down or two models down. We have seen that. There's more fight in order to make a deal than has been happening before
1: they want to go back to negotiating a little bit
0: yeah a little bit but at the same time you know with every other there's a lot of manufacturers out there that are hurting quite frankly in our auto group there's several manufacturers are really hurting um and for us you know thank goodness the horns have some a kia and a hyundai store quite frankly um that's part of the things that's keeping them afloat, plus a couple other stores that are that are doing really well as well.
1: Prior to COVID, how many cars were you selling on average monthly? And then during COVID, what were you selling and what are you selling now?
0: So this is kind of funny. So pre-COVID, actually right after COVID, as a matter of fact, I'll say, let me think back to this for a second. So like Last year, so 21, for example, May of 21, we peaked at the store with 437 sold, units sold, new and used combined. We did, Alex is here, we did
1: 337 new.
0: Yeah, 337 new that in, month.
1: May in 2021. May
0: of 2021. And that was, uh, that was like our first ramp up because I was taking, that was back when I could take whatever cars that I wanted to take. And so basically I took everything that was left that I could get my hands on. And then after that, There was a slowing that happened in, don't get me wrong, June was still great. July was still great. The
1: Pipeline was starting to slow down. Yeah, it
0: was starting to slow down for us because this ground stock surplus that was there was not there anymore. So I couldn't just pick up the phone and say, hey, I need whatever, send me whatever anymore. You were waiting on cars. Correct. However, by taking those cars back then with our fast turn rate and has actually helped us sustain throughout this time frame to be successful and profitable. I mean, that's I mean, that's one of the horns things is run a moral, ethical, and profitable business. And that's what we do. You know what I mean? I hold everybody that regard at the dealership. It's, it's important.
1: Simple, provide a great service. Do, yeah. Do, do,
0: do right by the customer. Correct. Right. And used car markets is on its head, though. That's like completely backwards from where it should be. Still. And still, it's starting to turn. We're starting to see stuff at the auction where we were making a bunch of money selling it, cars at the auction. We're talking like cars that we sell at the auction at cars that... I would never drive. Right. You would never drive. Right. The average person would never drive. They usually go someplace. Well, let's talk about that. Why? Get parted Why out.
1: was the used car market so pent up? Why was there so much demand and, and low supply? Uh
0: had a lot to do with rental cars. Most mm-hmm. of the used cars get get flooded in the in the market usually come from rental cars. Well, during this short supply of new car inventory, so the way that most rental cars get rental car companies get their uh their vehicles to be put into their rental fleet is surplus ground stock from the manufacturer. So like the manufacturer for example, I'll, I'll use Kia as an example. Kia right now is building between 50,000 to 60,000 units, right? So in in production in, right now. In production, right. So if at the end of the year they have only wholesaled or to the dealership or the dealer body like 55,000, well if they had 60,000 built, they take that other 5,000 go, oh, we got to get rid of these. And then they do some deal with the rental car company, and boom, off they go. And then they're in the rental fleet, right? And then the rental car company dumps their cars, you know, when they get like 25,000 miles or 15,000 miles or so long is old. That,
1: is that kind of the the measurement, the milestone when you get to twenty to 30,000 miles? It used to be. Now own. there's
0: rental cars out there that have 75,000 miles on them wow. because they can't get new inventory, mm-hmm. right? So to the point where we've well, had rental car hence companies. the birth of Turo. Yeah, the, correct. And so now now to the point where the rental car companies have been, there's been two that have come to me and asked me, hey, can we buy some of the cars at the end of the month that you have left to sell? And I'm like, well, sh- no, I'm not selling to you. Why would I do that? That doesn't do anything long-term for us as a, as a, as a cons- consumer base, right? Because obviously we have to fuel service and parts down the road with taking care of our customers with routine maintenance, right? So, And by selling them the car... Then that eliminates me the opportunity to sell a regular customer. Retail cars. price. Right. right. So and it's just like a it's economics. Yeah, it's a whole cycle, right? So so they're hurting. I mean, I don't know what's gonna happen to them long term. I think that when Hertz filed bankruptcy a couple of years ago, I think that was like the tip, you know what I mean? Right. That kinda kinda started to happen. Kind of so, like the airline
1: industry many years ago. Yeah, you know, got a little saturated. They mm-hmm. they miscalculated and when you, you're dealing with margins that are pretty narrow, it's a volume-based business. Like, Correct. Like rental cars, like airline business. I mean, you can't miscalculate. Right. So is Hertz, Hertz one of many? Do you see more going that same path?
0: I don't know. I think that they just happened to be in a position where they were overleveraged and they got saved by Wall Street bets. Everybody knows about Wall Street bets. Anyway, <laughs> so, right? Yeah. So, anyway, the... Uh, But uh, I don't think that's going to continue. We'll see what happens. I think eventually all these manufacturers are going to start producing more at some point in time once they figure everything out, right? And then that's what's going to actually correct the market. Um, I really don't think it's going to get corrected formally until 2025 based off everything that I've seen so far. Um, And I think after 2025 will be a more normal but somewhat limited, if that makes sense. I think the manufacturers will be a little bit more cautious. At the same time, part of me thinks we'll be back to the way we were before except worse. And the only reason I say that is because obviously, some of these manufacturers are retooling these large plants that are billions of dollars. And some of them are building new plants that are billions of dollars. Well, the only way that they can pay for that is by manufacturing a vehicle and selling it off to the dealership, because that's when they make their money, right. And so when that happens, they need to have Yeah, you have you need to have volume in order to pay for that, right. So that's
1: At some point, it's going to flip, right? Right. cart before the horse, kind of, and then in terms of uh, creating the revenue to to retool all their Right. And we'll see what happens. I mean, some
0: of them are going to be smarter than others, and some of them are going to be more foolish. It always happens, right?
1: So, you know, there's been a bigger shift towards online sales, right, or non-retail. Do you see see that type of the business uh, expanding, growing, um, becoming a bigger piece of the overall automotive business? Great question. So
0: this is something that I think is actually kind of comical. And the reason I say it's comical is because the people, I do believe there's a place for purchasing a vehicle online. Don't get me wrong, 100%. However, I think it's comical because the manufacturer always comes out and is always talking about it. They hire people to come out and tell us, the dealerships, like, hey, you guys need to sell cars online. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, yeah, how does that look? How does that work? And we've been able to do it successfully. We've done a couple transactions out of state and stuff like that where we've had to ship cars. Um, And we were actually successfully on the forefront of that uh, until the inventory got restricted where you can't do that anymore. So, um, and when that happened, obviously we cut that off, but the manufacturer still talks about that, which is, I think it's funny. It's like almost like, hey, do this, but well, you can't do that, but right. we want you to do that, right? So it's uh, overall... Because um, Tesla is
1: more... I mean, you can go drive a Tesla. Everybody
0: wants to be Tesla because they broke the mold, right. right? And the reason they broke the mold is because you could go out, literally buy a car online, you could qualify online, and then, however, that's a very small percentage. So the other problem, though, that Tesla has run into that nobody ever talks about is servicing the vehicle after the fact. So prime example, there's one of our neighbors that lives down at the end of the street has one, not going to say any names, and their car was down for something happened with one of the motors and a Tesla crew had to come out to the house to fix it. And then after diagnosing what was the problem, the car was down for three weeks. They didn't have a rental car. They couldn't, there's no rental cars to get to. Tesla doesn't have a rental service, so how do you get? What happens during that time? They just don't have a car for three weeks, so they end up turoing a car in order to use a car in order to the interim, right? So there's part of that where, hey, it's a great concept, but they don't have the dealer body to go ahead and withhold and stand behind the product to maintain. Take care of the customer.
1: It's almost impossible to go buy a house and have no human interaction right or person right because people
0: want to buy from people that's really what it comes down to and they want to feel confident you can do all the research on the planet as far as buying anything right but when it comes down to it most people want to see it or buy it in person unless it's an intangible right like and what i mean by an intangible like here if i wanted to buy this and i knew what it looked like right i could buy this probably on amazon and buy it by bulk hey, there's not much difference, whatever. I don't need a salesperson really to sell this, right? It's something that's a shelf-bought
1: thing, right? There's no buttons. There's no levers. No, there's no operating it. manual. Right, but when it comes down to a bigger ticket
0: item, something that's like, hey, I need to know more, even a TV, like I've never personally bought a TV online. I've looked at buying TVs online because they were so cheap, but then I catch somewhere down in the description it's refurbished. I'm like, I don't want to refurbish TV. Something might be wrong with this thing, right? So Got to read the fine print. Right, yeah. you know, so... And then it's like, you know, you get farther into the whole deal, right? So, you know, it's like even when I bought my last TV or even buying TVs for the dealership, right? Because we have different monitors for different things throughout the store and some of them go bad. I go to Best Buy, sit there, I talk to one of the pimple-faced kids, you know what I mean? And say, all right, what can you tell me about this TV? Why would I take this TV? This is what the TV is going to be. Why do pimples? I it's don't like know. a prerequisite. It's I don't like, know. Ah, the kids got clean. I think so what it is kids. more so than anything it's like the starter career job. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like it's like you start here and you kind of elevate, which is kind of comical like because a lot
1: of soda and candy. And yeah. it,
0: if you think about it, it's actually backwards. And the reason why I say that is like they're dealing with the customer face to face. They should be the most highly trained person in the whole entire place versus the guy that's just starting out. But anyway, so it's kind of
2: oh, oxymoron, right? Yeah, yeah. So
0: anyway, so. But, yeah, that's the thing. Like, people want to buy from people. You know, people don't buy big ticket items unless if they're reckless, you know what I mean, and have more than they know what to do with, you know, from without seeing or talking or walking or touching. You know, that's a big thing. Like, I would never buy a house without walking it. I would never buy a car without driving it. You know what I mean? That's pretty reckless, unless if I'd been in another one that was exactly like that, you know, then maybe. Well, even even Tesla,
1: I mean, they have the, you know, the retail locations. Um, You know, I bought a Tesla, I drove it, you know, I talked to the sales guy, asked all the questions, you know, they just, the, the, the closing process is a little bit different, but you're still working with a human. Correct. I know you can, you can do it otherwise. And they, I think they're They've kind of come up with just some few basic models, and they're all. But the you don't same. own that anymore, do you? No. Yeah. No, See, so no. it's gone already. <laughs> no, I sold it for more than I paid for it because the automotive industry was is so crazy, and that's why I wanted to get you on. Is like, okay, are we are we shifting in a new direction now, where things are like, you know, real estate? We're gonna get into real estate stuff here in a minute, but you know, the real estate is normalizing now, and that's a good thing. It was unsustainable. That was not healthy. What we were what was going on before. It's great, peaked, everything was blowing up. We need a normalization's rates had a lot of big impact on that. Do you feel like the automotive industry is doing the same thing? Is it starting to normalize a little bit?
0: I wouldn't say it. Hey, Alex, come up here. Alex, I've known Alex for uh holy cow. Jeez, 16, 17 years.
1: Alex the handler. Back
0: from a uh, different ah, uh, he's not a handler. Actually, we're good <laughs> friends. And uh,
1: Alex, actually, I'm gonna turn this question over to Alex real quick because I go drink my coffee. Okay, yes. Alex, welcome. We got a bonus. This is welcome. the bonus.
2: How are you? Good to have you. Thank
1: so you. the question that Josh was, uh, we, you know, the, the real estate mortgage industry is normalizing. That's a good thing, right? Uh, it was getting totally out of control. Automotive, same thing. New car, used cars, uh, probably more used cars than new cars. But do you see your the automotive industry starting to normalize a little bit more now?
2: I do not, and I don't foresee it ever getting back.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. The way it was all right why is that?
2: Uh, production, manufacturing uh, the current market right now is now reached a point of acceptance okay and it's becoming the new norm Wow so the, the old version is, is out the window and uh, the dealer bodies that have adjusted to the new climate, are going to be the most successful.
1: Are you seeing? Do you foresee or expect uh, manufacturers and dealerships not making it because they're not? I do. Up the times? I
2: do see a uh, drop down in the uh, dealer body, pending uh, the the brand that you represent. Uh, I see a uh, change in production from cars to trucks. Okay. And from trucks, trucks to electric. Yes. Uh, whether or not the consumer buys into it is, is a different story. Right uh, Right now, there's a challenge. Everybody wants electric. It's been promoted. It's been pushed. Yep. There aren't any to buy. Right. Uh, and if you do get in line to get one, you're paying an extremely pretty penny. Right, right, right. So that leaves out 80% of the consumers. Yeah,
1: I think it's just, I think any industry, if you're not... Open to change, and a lot of people don't. They become this expert, and then whatever it is, right? Building cars, selling cars, uh, doing loans, doing selling real estate. Uh, but then you have disruptors that come in, you know, sure. like Uber for the taxi. Um, you know, you could say Tesla was a disruptor. Um, Turo is a disruptor. So I think, if anything, if you're in the industry, especially in a leadership level, you have to be prepared to see that there's. Other ways of doing things. And I see that with automotive industry, and it's been proven. So you either get with the times and you, you know, are exactly. part of that movement or you, you're not going to make it, and it's a survival of the fittest.
2: And right now, really depending on uh, what uh, demo you're in, uh, Phoenix happens to be the most dominant metro in the United States. Really? Not sure if you knew that. No. But there's no 10 to 12 of every brand within the Phoenix metro. So it Holy. is by far the most competitive and the number one district. You know, it
1: uh, makes sense because we have the probably the worst public uh, transportation yes. service. So, right, we have we don't really have any trains or we got some, you know, we have the light rail, but that's, you know, insignificant. So, you have a lot of cars on the road. You have a high, high, high population of people. We have great freeways. Everybody that comes here is like, you guys have the best freeways on the planet. It's because we have right. a lot of people and a lot of cars. Yes. Um, how does Kia Horn uh, perform to your competitors in your marketplace and, and, and nationally?
2: We were number number five nationally, so that speaks for itself. Number one uh, here in the uh, Phoenix Metro, Good for you guys. one in the district. What uh, I have found doing this for thirty five uh, years now, and uh, representing two of the what I consider the best brands, which is Kia and Toyota, for a very long time, is that it all happens pending the character of the people upstairs. Sure, and Horn is by far one of the most respectful. Uh, families I could have ever picked to, to, to come and work. I was lucky to find Josh in the right place at the right time He recruited me and we got back together uh, and it's been nothing but uh, Pedaling uphill but enjoying the ride.
1: That's amazing. Um, Good so for you.
2: that being said you're gonna see a an increase in dealers selling um, and, and selling their family franchises that have been in families for 20 30 40 50 years. They're getting out they're getting out, taking the money, and running. It's too competitive. They're not used to this environment. They can't handle the climate change, and they don't want anything to do with electric.
1: Hey, I don't celebrate failure, but I also am like, if you you can't perform, you can't produce, you know, then get out of my way, right? Like that's <laughs> exactly. kind of how I feel. Well, before exactly. we we end this segment on on automotive, um, we 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 got gave a great plug on on Horn Family uh, working for them. I think culture and leadership is everything. Um, just give us uh, why, why Kia. What is it about Kia that it separates it from other automotive companies?
2: Oh, first and foremost is the warranty. Uh, there's not another manufacturer that stands behind its vehicle going in. What is it? Um, it's one hundred thousand miles, ten years on that powertrain. Wow. Uh, and whether it's Honda, Toyota, General Motors, nobody can say that. So do you that, see
1: that warranty ever coming? I mean, obviously, every car is not perfect, but do you see them? It,
2: it, it's come into play, and uh, believe me, the people that have needed it have uh, become extremely faithful consumers to to the brand. So, so
1: Kia stands behind their product so much, so they're going to give 100,000 10 years. In the rare event that something goes wrong, they're going to make it right. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely.
2: And that mm-hmm. goes a long way.
1: Well, Alex, good to have you here. Thanks, Appreciate for Appreciate all the me. insight. All right. yeah. Thank you. Yvette. Awesome. Just, just wrapped up the uh, automotive portion, Kia, Horn, your, your whole legacy in, in the industry, um, you know, kind of what's going on in, in that industry, which has been wild. I want to segue into another industry that's been absolutely gangbusters for the last two years. And I'll start off with, you know, been in the business for, for 22 years. Um, I've seen several cycles, you know, the 08 uh, crash uh, leading up to that. You know, I was a, I was a mortgage broker. Um, You know, it was very. Everybody knew, you know, what was going to happen because you took away the three components of a loan that made that loan perform right: ability to repay, skin yep. in the game, creditworthiness. And you know, people in Wall Street felt like those those loans would perform, and you know, oh, oh my God, they didn't, right? Like big shocker. Like, how do you expect to, So that 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 bubble, well, it was a bubble. It was it was not real. I mean, if you happened to sell before the crash, it was real for you this is not the same thing. And, you know, I, you know, involved in a lot of different groups, um, you know, as far as speculation on what's going to happen with our real estate industry. Is there a correction? I feel like there's um, a correction's already happened or maybe a slight more. But, you know, the, the, the reality is we have two social economic classes that have entered our system uh, that need housing. Um, the alternative is renting, which is, is also very unaffordable. Um, rates being uh, shifted so drastically, so quickly, I think gave a lot of people whiplash. I think we just have to get back to people realizing this is the new norm and the rates are still good historically. I mean, you know sixes or fives is not 12s or 15 or whatever our parents were paying. Um, but I wanted to talk to you because you are a uh, real estate investor yourself. You've acquired some properties. I think what I feel is at the perfect time. Um, so, you know, tell us, you know, how much you have and, you know, what do you have roughly in, in property? Where do you see those properties today? And where do you see the real estate investing going? And I know that's a loaded question, but let's start with what you, what you have now. What kind of holdings do you have?
0: Uh, I've got 10 rentals right now and a couple more that are in process of being built. Um, actively looking to acquire a multifamily,
1: uh, yeah. Why family? just out of curiosity?
0: I really like the rent space. Everybody needs a place to lay their head. I looked at a couple other different types. I mean, we even looked at together doing storage. Um, and for whatever reason, that just it just didn't pan out. And I really think that, you know, this sounds kind of cliche, but my father told me many moons ago, who was in realist, commercial real estate his entire life, it was a home builder a long time ago in the eighties. And, uh, he said, you know, eventually at some point in time, based off our currency, you know, we're going to be in Renner nation. <laughs> and kind of funny historically, like I was like, what the heck does that mean? So that was like the first thing Like he told me this probably like, it was right around like 2008, 2009. So after everything just fell off the map and I didn't know what he was talking about then. Right. Looking back, he's pretty smart. And, even more so right around 2012 2013 I met with my aunt my mom's sister and we had a long conversation and her whole entire thing was she owned businesses and stuff like that but she always used any profit from the business to buy more real estate and I never understood it it was always forest land you know what I mean up in the Pacific Northwest yeah so and I was like one of her businesses was logging right so that's Mm -hmm. the mills. so it kind of made sense of thing. So anyway, she goes, why do you buy all this land? She goes, I said, don't you have to pay property. She goes, Josh, it's a hedge on inflation. And I didn't know what she was talking about at that time. Right. So knowing what I know now, right, obviously 2009 happened, there was a ton of money printing that happened, right? Because the government goes, oh, we need money for this, we need money for that. Right. Well, then all of a sudden, you know, the coronavirus thing happened again. Oh, money, this money, that presses go on right well i mean i really think that every time they do that it's deflation of the dollar which just because a dollar is worth less it inflates costs of everything else that's what's really going on right so and for me at some point i'm looking around and i'm going holy cow well i need to get on this i need to seize an opportunity so that's when i bought a whole bunch i've been involved now in like four private placements and for developers and uh a whole bunch of other like tech investing. So I'm in like 10 different tech things now or I've invested a whole bunch in, including water, glow water. I don't know if you've ever heard of glow water. You can actually buy it at the store. So at certain places. You're an investor in glow water? Yep. So in a, like a C-Day investor. Anyway, and I've done all sorts of different stuff like that just because I think, you know, you have to diversify a portfolio. 100%. I mean, I have lots of stocks and bonds and all that stuff like that. Like I got a pretty, mostly stocks, and, uh individual stocks. And it's doing great. Even with this pullback, I'm still solid. Diversifications,
1: so. everything. You know, my grandfather told me, because my grandfather was the same, much like your father, built houses, owned homes, you know, was a um, postal worker. He worked his way up through management, but really made his money through real estate. And he just said, you know, Ross, they just don't make any more dirt. And people need a place to live. So if you can lock in on, in, you know... A reasonable place, it's growing and hold it. You know, everybody wants to get this rich quick thing and that's kinda of what was going on the last couple of years, but that's not what investing is. Investing is the Buffett model. You buy it, you hold it, and you keep it forever.
0: So I firmly believe that. I've tried to get rich quick multiple times. It Every time out. I've lost oh I was maybe like Put it this way, like it makes me want to throw up. Let's put it that way because oh, I've, I've lost a in, lot.
1: I've invested in Nikola. So, I think I invested it when it was eighty a share, and I think I sold it at like twenty. So yeah, I, I know all about, uh, about. So
0: yeah, so it doesn't work out, right? So and that's the thing. Like for me, like um, I'm pretty basic. I, I hardly do anything that's really like skeptical anymore. My my main focus is going back to what my father said years ago that put money in real estate and hold it for the long term and you'll be okay. And really that's panned out like even even to the point where even now, I mean, I got a couple you helped me do a couple loans on three different properties and one of the things that I must say is that even at that time, I was questioning like do you think this is the right move right now? And, and what did I say? You're like as long as you're going to hold for long term you're fine. I'm like okay. And even now like I look at where I'm at in those particular properties, they would have to go down in value over 50% to be where I'm in them right now. So basically like I'm in such a solid spot, I can't, there's no way I'm going to lose. Right. Right. So, and that was kind of what you had said at that time. Right. So, and that's when I've even become more robust and just buying even more and more and more properties at that time, shortly after that, I had locked up, I optioned out basically a whole bunch of like home builders right during the coronavirus because they didn't want to, Nobody was buying houses, so they were all getting scared when the whole thing went off the map. And Some
1: deals to be had? Yeah, yeah. just
0: went down and plopped down money as an investor everywhere, and then, you know... It was- Nine months later, I'd either lose, you know, about 25, 30,000 bucks if walking away from them, or I was going to benefit. I ended up benefiting tenfold. Well, nine so, months
1: later, they stopped allowing investors to buy because they needed them for primary. So, correct. Yeah. And that goes back to the
0: whole thing about Render Nation, right? So, renter Nation is, if you look at what's happened here just in the Phoenix Metro, costs have gone up so much. And then, even to the point where on the Arizona economic data, there's this thing where a lot of people don't know about this, but They're from every August to August calendar year, if the cost of living has increased from August to August, the subsequent following January, there's an increase in minimum wage. Well, I could tell you this. Anytime that minimum wage goes up, the cost of goods is going up, which means there's inflation. So it's in perpetuous indexed inflation that happens in the state of Arizona. So with that happening, that means the cost of replication for anything that has to be built, which is housing, is going to eventually be more. And at some point, it gets to the point where that cost is so high that people aren't going to be able to go ahead and buy a home, at least save money for the down payment because they're paying too much in rent or whatever the case may can't be. Save. Yep. They can't get ahead of the curve, right? right? So, and at that point, that goes back to what my dad said, it becomes renter nation So for me, being a landlord, you know what I mean? That That's a good thing, right? So, and that's why I believe that the whole invest model in in single family rentals or multifamily is a huge win because everybody at some point needs a place to pay to lay their head, right? And worst case, if things go down, you know what I mean, and they go down drastically, let's say, well, if I was in a position where I wanted to leverage myself, I'd just refinance them and I could charge less for rent. I'm still good, you know what I mean? It doesn't hurt me and I still own that particular asset. I haven't lost anything. Assets I,
1: worth what what you sell it for at that time. Correct. And you're not looking to sell. You don't need to sell. So no. does it? To me, it's irrelevant what the value of something, is, especially something that you're holding. You know, people get very caught up in that. They get very emotional about what the yes. value of something is at that moment. It's like, well, are you looking to sell it? No. Okay. Well, then don't be emotional about it because it's not. It doesn't matter. For me, I'm looking at long-term cash flow more so than anything. And because that, there, I look at what
0: I am earning right now at the dealership, and it's the most I've ever earned in my entire life, and it's fantastic. And there's a lot of guys that work with me and quite frankly they're every single one of the guys that works for me is worth their weight in gold because they're providing a service for the horn family that collectively they wouldn't be able to do and quite frankly the team is so strong that I've been able to take what I'm able to earn and invest it in order to know that some point in my career things might change because every manufacturer has a cycle. Every manufacturer, you know, every every um, every manufacturer has a cycle, and not every dealership has a cycle to it too. So
1: cycles are great. There's they, money to be made in cycles. Give, we need, you know, we need. They cycles. all
0: they always go boom to bust though too. That's the whole thing. And so in the downtime, I want to make sure I'm hedging myself so that way I'm okay when things do go awry. Does that back to sense? that word so,
1: diversification. Correct. So before we wrap up here. Um, you know, you bought some real estate, you bought in at a great time, you got you bought in when prices were lower, you got really low rates, They're cash flowing like crazy, they're doing amazing. Um, are you buying and investing in real estate today?
0: Yeah, I okay. have another uh, home that is going to be completed. Uh, hopefully, December may not be December, though. And then I um, have another place that uh, it's much larger that we're in the final architectural stages of it, and that's going to be built uh, sometime in the next year and a half, two years. And am I worried about the prices going out? No, I could care less about that. <laughs> and I'm also looking at buying, uh, well, we talked briefly uh, before, multifamily. So, and I think that you know, long-term, things are going to continue to escalate here in town. I
1: mean, just th- there may be a dip short-term. Long-term, we're going to be great. We've got know? so many companies coming here and people coming. There's too many
0: companies. Well, I shouldn't say too many, too many. There's enough where it's a good thing. It's not too many where we're oversaturated, but you know, these companies that are building these huge places, like there's an Amazon uh, warehouses being built on the East side of town now, along with the Google and then Apple and LG. There's a whole bunch of these big, huge companies. And each one of those, there's employees that come after the the plants are built, right? And, and, and they well need a paying place jobs. to live. Well-paying so well jobs.
1: Well-paying jobs, yeah, too. Right. Correct. And usually they need a place to rent before they buy or own. They get kind of settled in. And so we've, you know, from this segment, we've established, you know, great automotive expert, but also a great business person, an astute mind for business. Um, there's a lot of fear right now. It's just constant fear, 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 fear. That's why well, I loved your chicken. Your chicken out. You can't, that was, be I mean, chicken. Yeah, can't be a chicken. Yeah, can't be a chicken. You've Got to be a chicken fighter. You got to ride the chicken. That's correct. That's you know right. what's
0: really funny is that, that this is something that I've outlawed at the dealership, and it's kind of comical because most dealerships you walk into, and they've got the news on, and what do they have? They have fear. some dude watching the news, and it gets everybody scared, yep. and then it's like ah, oh. and quite frankly, the fear mongering of the news. I get why they do it, because if it everything sells. was... It sells. Fear if everything sells. was positive, hey, look, it's going to be sunny outside tomorrow, right. and the, your pool's going to be 85 degrees, you go take a <laughs> dip, and there's no accidents on the freeway, and you know there'll be a rainbow out around 1 p.m., you can check it out if you're outside. Who the hell wants to watch that? We want to watch, oh, look who's dying! Oh, everyone. Elena does. You know, so anyway. Yeah. So... so you know what I mean it's like everybody wants all the bad stuff like oh there's war over there let's see if we can check out some bombs blow up you know what I mean let's watch it you know and then it's like but all that negativity negativity breeds negativity and quite frankly negativity is bad like anybody that sits there long enough and watch Is the news long enough? They become negative. And that's something I noticed about having the negative news on at the dealership. And now when people come ask me and they say, hey, you know, so-and-so wants the the news on. I said, oh. I go, let me talk to him. I said, you know, I'm sorry. We don't watch the negative news here. And they're like, excuse me? I said, yeah, we don't watch the negative news. Why is it negative? I said, you've never watched the negative news? And they're like. (laughs) You've never watched the news? I always watch the news. And they're like, well, you've never noticed that everything on it's negative? The markets crashing." And they look at me like. Huh? I said next time you watch the news, see see if it's negative or not. Next thing you know, they'll be back at the store six months later or whatever for an oil change, and you know, some dude comes up and he goes,
1: "You know, you were right." I don't watch the news anymore. Yeah, and they, that's dude, a whole other segment. Yeah, could, they do that. Go, like anyway, so I, I could go down that. But hole. But
0: positivity breeds positivity. That's right. Um, and having a culture of positivity and empowerment is crucial to success. And that's one thing that I preach at the store. It's one thing the Horn family preaches. Um, Alex leads our sales team um, and does a great job of empowering the young men and women um, at the dealership. And that's how we become successful is because we empower, we encourage, we don't do the old school yell and scream? Well, there's, doesn't work there's no
1: wonder why the Horn family has uh, tasked you to, to be the steward of their their Kia Horn. Why you're so successful? Horn Kia, Ross. Sorry, Horn Kia. Number one, number one dealership in the in the state for Kia. The number five for the country. Um, there's no wonder why people want to work for you. Yeah, you're a great guy. So thanks for coming on. You bet. All right. Cool. All thanks, right, hope guys. You guys can make-